we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. It's a joy to be with you. Uh, it's a joy to worship with you. It's a joy to stand together and just say those things together. In the simplicity of that phrase, Lord, you are good. You are good. Uh, and the, even though the night holds on to me, I trust in your goodness that you hold all things together. And that's the story of Daniel, right? Uh, in, in the chaos and the darkness, uh, we can trust that God holds all things together. I really can't think uh, of a better combination of sermon series uh, than us walking through the miracles of Jesus, where Jesus was saying over and over again, this is what my kingdom is like, and this is what it will be like in all of its fullness. He said that over and over again, this is what my kingdom is like. Well, we know, going back to Daniel, that God was on the move from the very beginning to establish his kingdom. And in the book of Daniel, it's not so much declaring to us, this is what my kingdom is like. It is asking us and asking Daniel, will you be a part of my kingdom? Who are you in my kingdom? Who are you in my kingdom? So I can't think of a better sermon series to be wedded together than the miracles of Jesus in Matthew and the book in the book of Daniel. If you are new with us today, thank you so much for being here. My name is Danny Panter. I'm one of the associate pastors on staff, and uh, we count it an honor that you would worship with us and sit with us um, and be a part of what God is doing in this place on Sunday mornings. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, we really would like to know that you are with us, so there should be a little, a little sheet of paper, a little card in the chair in front of you that says connect here. Would you just take a few moments and fill that out for us? And then um, at the close of our time of worship, I will be in the back. And if you could just hand that to me personally, um, I will make sure it gets in the right place. But more than that, I want to be able to make sure I connect a face to a name and I want to meet and greet you. So please, please do that if you're new with us today. Let's stand together and we're going to read the first five verses of Daniel chapter 1. Now, there are some names in here. It's okay if you just mumble them. I'm going to do my best. You do your best. Let's read together. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, use without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. You may be seated. 
You may be seated. Judah was in a mess, as you can tell by the first few verses in the book of Daniel. Save Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, and King Josiah, of which Daniel was born under King Josiah's reign. For the most part, other than those two, the kings of Judah had thrown its people into complete moral decay. They had been completely to forgot. Uh, they completely had forgotten to love and to worship God, to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and to observe the law that had been handed down through Moses. Even so much, they had completely forgotten the law. There were no copies of the Word of God that were being read on a regular basis until Josiah came on the scene. They had completely forgotten that. They had abandoned their covenant and gave themselves to false and debased gods, the gods of their neighboring nations. Judah once was a powerful kingdom that had dwindled under its idolatry and eventually becoming subject to Assyria, Egypt, and in Babylon. In fact, Judah and Israel before them would flirt with all the neighboring nations as they were weakened in their strength. They would flirt with all the neighboring nations in order to hopefully secure their sovereignty. They were hoping to avoid the inevitable. And yet, Josiah's leadership, even though he was a godly king, wasn't enough to turn away God's judgment for all the moral decay that had been brought into the kingdom before him. And as God had promised, through the prophets, he used Babylon, the nation of Babylon, to discipline and bring judgment against Judah. It's exactly what was happening. In fact, Jeremiah and other prophets had promised 70 years of exile as a part of God's judgment against Judah and Israel before it. That exile began in 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar had recently established his strength. He had defeated Egypt. Egypt, uh, Judah had been a vassal state under Egypt. In other words, they are paying annual tribute uh, to Egypt, and Egypt was calling the shots in Judah. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had come in, and in their strength, had overwhelmed Egypt at a particular battle. And so Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were beginning to assert their strength in the kingdom, which meant they would go to Jerusalem and begin to besiege it. Nothing was pleasant about that experience. Nothing was pleasant about that experience. But in that besieging, negotiations began to take shape. And the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, said, I will not completely destroy you if you begin to do what I say, pay tribute to me, even give of me of some of the treasures in your palace and your temple from the kingdom of Judah, we can make this arrangement. And under threat of complete destruction, Judah said, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, in the text in Daniel, it says in particular that they gave some of the vessels of the house of God. Now, this had already been prophesied about. Hezekiah, one of the godly kings in Second or First Kings chapter twenty, uh, actually it might have been Second Kings. Let's make sure. Um, in Second Kings chapter twenty, uh, an envoy from Babylon 
came to bring a letter to Hezekiah because he was sick. They're like, oh, we're so sorry you're sick. Hope you get feeling better. And Hezekiah took that envoy and showed them all the treasures of, of Judah and the treasures in the temple. And Isaiah the prophet said, Hezekiah, what in the world are you thinking? What are you doing? God, God has told me that that same kingdom, Babylon, will come and take all the treasures that you showed them in the treasury, in the palace, in the temple. God knew what was going on. He had already prophesied that it was happening. And a part of that arrangement included a few young, intelligent, beautiful sons of royalty and nobility. Isaiah had prophesied about that too. He told Hezekiah, they're going to take some of the sons from your own household. Here's the thing. In the ancient Near East... Um, they saw their gods as regional gods. In Babylon, you had Baal and other, uh, the other minor gods that kind of ruled and provided for the Babylonian kingdom in their part of the world. When the Babylonians or even the Egyptians thought of Judah, they thought of the Judean God or the Hebrew God of old that had done all those incredible things in Egypt. They still knew those stories. But when they thought of the Hebrew God, the, the God of of Daniel, they thought of him not as a global God, but as a regional God. And so when Babylon comes in and besieges the city and makes an arrangement that now you're going to serve us, you're going to be under the Babylonian uh, kingdom, you can imagine what Nebuchadnezzar and the people in Babylon thought. We went to war against your God, and our gods won. In the ancient Near East, that was the mindset. It wasn't one God. It was all different gods among all different peoples. And if one God threw its people, overwhelmed another, it was our God is better than your God. It's exactly what was going on in here. That was Babylon's perspective. But let me tell you, one of the greatest things that we learn from Daniel is that God makes himself absolutely clear that that is not the case Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. Just hold on to these words. It says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. And the Lord gave. God says from the very beginning of the book of Daniel, for its readers then and for us now, that this was God's doing. Prophets had already prophesied that this day was coming, and God said, I'm doing this. I, this is not out of my control. I'm doing this to discipline you and bring judgment against the people who have forgotten me over and over and over and over again. The message of Daniel for us is that God is never catching up to human history. God, for God, history is never getting out of hand for him. He's never having to scramble with, among all the different nations and kingdoms of the world. He's never having to catch up to human history. This is extraordinary news. It's extraordinary news for Daniel, and I believe he was holding on to that truth, and hopefully we'll see that in a moment. But it's extraordinary news for us. The best that God has to offer, listen, the best that God has to offer us and his church is not behind us. Occasionally you run into people and say, man, I just wish it was like the 1960s again. 
where we prayed in school. But let me tell you, and among other things, let me tell you the best that God has for his church is not back then. If it were back then, it's like God doesn't know what he's doing. He's, the history's out of control, and God's just trying to get us back there. Listen, God is not trying to get us back there. He's trying to get us to a promise that he's already on the road to fulfilling. He's already on the move. And he says to us, have hope, hold on to me, because I am never having to catch up to human history. I hold it in my hands. I govern it. I govern it. I govern every nation and every king. Even kings like Nebuchadnezzar. It's no God like our God. And that's the theme of Daniel. Daniel is the literary, literary equivalent to Elijah's Mount Carmel moment. That's its purpose. There's no one like him. All the other gods aren't gods at all, but our God holds the universe together in the palm of his hand and by the very word of his mouth. And so... Daniel is more relevant today than ever, isn't he? In a world that arrogantly declares to us, where is your God? Where is your God amidst all the suffering in our world? Where is your God? Daniel is a firm reminder that human history is governed by God's sovereign will, and he's taking it somewhere, and he's going to fulfill every promise that he's given his people, his church. We need to hear that. And so we can either live in fear and disappointment or confidence that God is guiding human history to its end, which is restoration, a new heaven and a new earth, all things new and all nations, all peoples joyfully declaring the beauty and glory of God together. That's the theme. We're gonna come back to that over and over and over again. There's no God like our God and he holds all things together in his hands, all of human history, and he will fulfill his purpose. But we go from this huge macro picture to very micro picture, right? We go from what God is doing among the nations, which is going to be a repeated theme throughout Daniel, to micro. We're going to get into the life of a group of men, in particular Daniel. We're going to look at him, especially today. And so here, a part of the arrangement with Babylon is that you're going to give me the best of your youth. These guys were probably in their mid to late teens, 15, 16, 17, 18. This fulfilled a, a, a policy in a lot of the ancient world, but Babylon in some ways was kind of new at this. But what they would do is, we're going to remove the best and brightest from your court, and it does two things. One, it weakens Judah, because the best and brightest are going to Babylon, that were a part of the nobility, a part of the court of the king. Uh, and also, it fulfilled a second purpose. If you bring the, the, the young, best, and brightest of the of the nobility of Judah, bring them into Babylon, it assured potential future loyalty that Judah would continue to be a vassal state, that they would build this relationship um, with these young nobles who would stand before the king of Babylon, and it would kind of bind them together so that Judah back home would continue to be loyal and vice versa. Um, to Nebuchadnezzar. It's part of empire building. And so Babylon is likely about, it's about a thousand miles away. They had about a four-month journey. They 
entered in a completely different culture, a completely different language, among a completely different people. Everything was brand new and completely disoriented. And if you've ever jumped into a different place in a different culture, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That was their experience. And right away, once they got there, the king of Babylon said, I want you to re-educate these men for three years. He was hoping to indoctrinate them, right? Uh, he wanted them to speak the language, know the history, and much of the education in Babylon had much to do with magic and sorcery. And so uh, he wanted them to know all of that. Um, he even gave them new names, we know that. Um, but the expectation was is that he would re-educate them so that they would dissolve their relationship and dissolve their heritage, that they would bind themselves to Nebuchadnezzar and think as a Babylonian so that they could stand in his service. Stand in his service means work for Babylon. That's in verse 5. Can you imagine the pressure to conform can you imagine that pressure? Being in a place that you're completely unfamiliar with, you're, you're scared to death as to what might happen next, and even though there's a few of you together, you are completely overwhelmed. And the pressure is, you must conform. You must think the way we think. You must be like us. We know what that's like, don't we? We know what that's like. We live very much in a world that says the same thing to us. Gosh, that the way that you guys think and the, the, way, uh, the way you think about the world is so backwards. Think like us. That's how they were feeling. A lot of pressure. Daniel's world was turned completely upside down. Completely upside down in a moment. There's nothing pleasant about that experience for he and the others. Listen, church, we can easily forget that we're exiles. We can easily forget that we're exiles, that we are aliens in this world, not of this world. And sometimes before we know it, we can become no different than the Babylonians with our many gods. If we're not thoughtful and intentional, we can just become just like the culture all around us. That's the kind of pressure that Daniel was facing. Remember 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Sojourners and exiles. Jesus 17, verses 15 through 16, in his high priestly prayer, he says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Church, we are aliens in this world. We are exiles in this world much like Daniel and much like Daniel we have significant decisions to make the word of God tells us that Daniel was resolved in verse 8 right in verse 8 it says but Daniel resolved now I think he resolved several things and the most important one is declared in verse 8 but I want to walk through a few of these pretty briskly with you 
I kind of imagine what were some of the things that, that Daniel had to hold on to at, as he kind of began to make these resolutions in his life when he's fearful and uncertain about the future and feeling all the pressure he's facing. What are some of the likely things that he was holding on to? Jeremiah 33, who was a contemporary prophet, not with Daniel. Daniel was younger, but the words of Jeremiah were floating around when Daniel was in the court, even as a young man, he likely heard words like this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people, Israel and Judah, back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess. I think Daniel held on to words like that. I remember the prophet Jeremiah saying he's going to restore us, he's going to bring us back. Seventy years and he's going to bring us back. This is pretty interesting. He'd already heard the 70 years exile. Daniel knew he was never going home. Never going home. He had significant decisions to make. Zephaniah 3, 8 and 9, another prophet he likely would have heard. Listen to these verses. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decisions is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy all the earth shall be consumed. For at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them, who? All the nations may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. I think these kind of words Daniel likely held on to, and he was reminded that God is king over Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. He's king over all the nations, and there's going to be a day when he brings all the nations together, and all nations will worship the one true God, the one that I worship. I think he held on to those things. I think he held on to those things. Daniel had to decide. Daniel had to decide what he believed and who he was going to be in this foreign kingdom. He had no support from family, no one to reel him in back when he made a poor decision, no one to hold him accountable. He had to decide what kind of man he was going to be at 16 and 17 years old, possibly, maybe even younger. Can you imagine a teenager having to make that kind of decision? At that age, when everyone else in the world is telling you, be someone else, and let us tell you who you need to be, you've got to think this way, act this way, dress this way. And Daniel was facing the exact same thing, and he had to decide, what am I going to believe and who am I going to be? And I think those verses, those words were from those prophets were things that he was processing Daniel had to be thoughtful and intentional. He had to ask, to whom and what will I give myself? We have so much to learn from Daniel. We, we need to take notes. If you're a note taker, take notes. There's so much to learn from Daniel. And we need this now more than ever. Young people, you need this now more than ever. So what was Daniel resolved to do? From the beginning. I love this. I mean, right from the get-go, Nebuchadnezzar says, educate them for three years and give them food from the king's table, their next meal. Daniel had to make decisions right away. You know, sometimes we're inclined to put those kind of decisions off. We bide our time to think, well, maybe I can just figure this out, and maybe I can kind of become a little bit like them, but kind of, kind of, 
kind of hunker down and I'll just kind of keep who I am really to myself. The reality is, is if we wait rather than making a, a, a resolved decision from the beginning, we can easily get swept away with what the culture wants us to be or who they want us to be. Daniel said, no, I've got to make this decision right away. He became a student of Babylon. This is the first resolution that I just want to mention to you very quickly. He became a student of Babylonian language and culture. They said, we're going to educate you. Daniel said, I'm resolved to be educated. I want to learn everything I can about this culture. I want to learn language. I want to know how these people think. I, I, I want to know how to interact with them. I want to know all the decorum so that I can stand before the king. Listen, Daniel was not opposed to learning about this brand new culture that God will has chosen him for he got caught up in god's will he didn't choose any of this but he said god has me exactly where he wants me to be and it, it's painful it's hard and i'm scared to death but i will be resolved to learn everything i can about this culture note one that's very important how resolved are we to learn about the people all around us the way they speak the way they think not so that we become exactly like them but so that we can understand their stories so that we know who they are, so that we can serve them better. He was also resolved to build relationships with those in authority over him. In verse 9, it says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And we also know that he had a relationship with the guy under him. Both of them had compassion on Daniel and his three friends. But Daniel resolved also that I'm not going to burn bridges with people around me. I'm going to, with gentleness and kindness and humility, interact with the people that God has put over me. And so two resolutions so far is I'm going to learn this culture. It's a foreign culture. I'm going to learn how people think. I want to immerse myself in the culture, not so that I can get swept away, but so that I can know how to better serve them too. He says, I I'm not going to, I'm going to take advantage of the relationships that God has around me. I'm going to bless people. I'm going to be compassionate towards people. I'm going to be humble towards people, even though they're not my people. And they don't know and love my God. And God gave him favor. God gave him favor. But the, the last resolution is the one that we read about in verse 8. And we'll wrap things up. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Some would say that Daniel did this to avoid eating meat that had been sacrificed to Babylonian gods. I'm not so sure if that's true because even the vegetables were sacrificed to Babylonian gods. Everything from the ground and everything that walked on the ground was a sacrifice given to the gods of Babylon. So I'm not so sure if that's the case. Some others might think it was so that Daniel would abstain from unclean foods. God, remember God said, I don't want you to eat pork. Well, Babylonians loved pork. And so maybe it was uh, Daniel saying, no, I want to honor the law of God even in a foreign country and I'm, I'm going to abstain from unclean food. But the thing is, he's also abstaining from wine and there's no prohibition in the law to drink wine. And yet Daniel says, I don't want the wine either. So maybe there's something else going on here. In the ancient world, sharing one's food with a mother was more than being hospitable. This was the rich food from the king's table. It was more than being hospitable. It was more than making sure they had all the right uh, nutrition. And especially in a situation like this. Listen, this is covenantal practice in the ancient world. 
You will have my food. I will share my rich food with you. This is the king. Even though they weren't sharing a physical table together, he's saying, I am sharing my table with you, and you and I will make this covenant together whereby you will be loyal to me. You will hand over your allegiances to your weak regional God and your weak regional people, and you will give your loyalty and allegiance to me. Eat my food. I provide for you. Let's make covenant together. Just read through the Old Testament. Uh, and there's so many covenantal moments that include food. Daniel eleven twenty six, it says this, Even those who eat his food shall break him. This is a verse talking about um, what that means is, it's a prophetic word against the northern and southern kingdoms um, uh, out of Alexander's kingdom that got broken up into all the different pieces. And the, the prophecy is even those who are most loyal to you, even those that you have forged trust and a covenant relationship will destroy you. And we take this verse and apply it back to Daniel chapter 8, Daniel knew exactly what he was doing. He was saying, listen, I know what's going on here. You're wanting us to acknowledge that we will give greater loyalty and allegiance to you because you have given us food from the king's table. And Daniel says, I will give no loyalty to anyone but my God who holds the nations together. My allegiance belongs to no other than my God. I will not make covenant with you. Because I've already made covenant with the God of my people and the God of the heavens and the earth and all the nations. That's what Daniel was doing. We're not going to have that kind of relationship. I will serve. I will understand your culture. But let me tell you, my greatest allegiance and commitment and covenant is with a God who I trust and who will fulfill his promises. In a time of incredible personal pain and pressure and uncertainty, Daniel committed to follow God alone. There's a lot more to this story that we could talk about. How God blessed them and how they were healthier than all the other men who were partaking in the king's table. We could talk uh, about God's faithfulness to bless them there's a lot that we could talk about, but what I want to challenge us today is who will you be as an alien and exile in this world? Jesus' invitation to his disciples is, this is my kingdom, will you be a part of it? Daniel's invitation to us as we walk through his narrative over and over and over again, he's going to say to you, mom and dad, husband and wife, whoever you are, whatever vocation you are, a teenager, whatever school you're in, amidst all the myriad of cultural teachings and philosophies, God's going to say, who, where do I fit? Is your allegiance to me, is that who defines your identity? That's who defined Daniel's identity. Who am I? I'm God's. I'm the Lord's. And I will believe him and trust him. That's the kind of church 
I want us to be. That's the kind of person that God wants you to be. Even when you don't know all the things that are going on in this world, and you can't explain it all, but you can say, I believe in him, and I trust that he will fulfill his promises for us. Let's pray. Father God of glory and grace, uh, we're thankful for the story of Daniel. Uh, Lord, we're kind of in awe of this young guy making such significant decisions in a foreign place when there was so much pressure. Lord, help us to do the same now. Help our greatest allegiance to be to you, not to all these other little gods in our life, but to you alone. May that be us. May that be us. Lord, and and if there's a person or a group of people that aren't there, will you lead us to a place of repentance so that we can say yes and yes to you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said amen. Let's stand together. We're going to respond. Listen, where do your allegiances lie? Where do your allegiances lie? Have you given your loyalty to something or someone else and you don't even know it? You've invited all this other kind of thought and thinking into your life. The culture has kind of swept you away. Who are you? Who will you be? You respond. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.